Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Hello. Good morning, friends. Um, Well, I'm really honored to be here with you guys today, Um, and that would not have come without the trust and the privilege of friendship with Chris and Tyler. Um, Their leadership has directly impacted this defiant joy that I've had and this withstanding faith over a really, really challenging season, and I'm so appreciative of their authentic leadership. So if we could just honor them for a minute and give them a round of applause... So as they said, my name is Madison Cooper, but I am affectionately known around here as Coop. Uh, So if you hear that, that's me. And if I can just say, being dubbed a last name nickname person makes me feel like the coolest kid in school. Like, so cool. And between that and being here with you guys today, I truly feel like I am at the peak of my mountain. I have made it. But the story of how I got here to this stage and even to this church today um, came from a lot of hurt, a lot of hurt feelings, and a lot of trial. And I've really struggled, but it's been a testament to God's provision and his faithfulness to us when we choose faithfulness to him. So as I was preparing for today, I came across Proverbs 3.5, which we actually just sang, so I'm varying on theme. Uh, It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But to steal Chris's coin term, relevance is coming. (laughs) So to dive in here, let me know who in this room has ever been rejected before. Yeah? Could have been from a job or a time at school or work when idea that you had was dismissed. Could have been a romantic interest or a crush. It's never happened to me, right? It's, I'm sure it's never happened to any of you either. <laughs> but we've all experienced rejection. And it's that feeling of dismissal, denial, abandonment or estrangement. And it's something that we can all relate to. For me, rejection is practically a benchmark of the passing seasons of my adulthood, um, which is quite young. Uh, And it extends all the way to where I'm at in the season with you guys today. But we're going to rewind. We're going to start a few years ago, uh, where rejection actually led me into this spiral that caused an emotional tailspin and put me in the direct line of fire for the devil. And let me tell you, I was weak. So to set the scene, I am a graphic designer, I specialize in branding, and I was part of this organization that was getting ready to launch a new project. I was so stoked to have been invited into these conversations, it was a huge honor, and my energy was just out the roof. Uh, But it came time to start having these really serious conversations and start making progress, and the decision makers just kind of stopped responding. Um, They stopped inviting me to the room where the conversations were being held, And I was just feeling very confused. So when I reached out to ask what happened, I was just met with, we went in a different direction. At that moment, I can tell you I fell apart. I was angry and hurt. I felt rejected. And I started questioning, what's wrong with me? And I started declaring myself as unworthy, undeserving, useless, unwanted. And in anger, 
I started gossiping to literally anyone that would listen, anyone. I was telling them about my discontent for the people and distrust for the system. I started going down a path that ended up taking me a very long time to recover from. And I'll tell you, I'm still not perfect, I still gossip. I'm, I'm not a perfect person, I'm not standing here today telling you that. But it took me a long time to recover from, and it was self-inflicted, and it was wrong. I didn't just hurt the people I talked about, I hurt the people I talked to. In that season, I didn't have tr uh, trust for God's plans in my life or his redirections. And I didn't care. I didn't care what laid ahead for me because I was hyper-focused on what I thought I was missing out on. I chose to be angry and hurt and bitter, and rather than forgiving and understanding, I was choosing to let the devil use me to his advantage. I said things about good people that I can't take back, and it hurt our relationships. I'm not proud of that season at all, and it was really, really, really hard, and it's not good, right? It's not good to gossip. The Bible tells us so. But if I widen my scope and look back at that season of my life, that particular season, the trajectory change that that had on my faith is a direct reflection of God's gift of grace, and it taught me so much about what it does mean to have faith. Now, if you fast forward to my present season of life, I'm once again undergoing an emotionally exhausting season of rejection. I've been on the job market for a long time. Pandemic people, where are you? <laughs> I have literally been rejected from every job that I have applied to over the last two years. So trust me, it's been a lot, it's been heavy. And the job rejections have all come in these emails that have been Trojan-horsed as compliments and my primary love language, words of affirmation. We love you. You are oozing with talent. We're so jealous of who's going to get you. But we're going in a different direction. Except what's different about this season of rejection in my life and the one from a few years ago is the wisdom of knowing where I put my hope and where I put my identity. That's not to say that the season isn't hard, and I'm not emotionally exhausted, or even angry. And frankly, it's not the job market where the only place that I'm getting rejected right now. But trusting who God is, and trusting his intentions for my life has changed how I've received these earthly moments of rejection. And let me be clear, they are earthly moments fleeting feelings, and human flaws. But Jesus, he is not denying me. He's not denying you. He hasn't left us abandoned or estranged. He's not leaving us helpless. Rather, he has adopted us. He accepts us now in this moment, in this moment that is either good or full of rejection, in the moments where the world has made you feel lesser, and in the moments where you screwed up. Yep, that includes the moments where I was gossiping about really good people. So while there's plenty of goodness in my season right now, and I will admit God has been good to me, it's not a season that if I looked back, I would define this season was good. But here's the thing. Whether the season is full of trouble or celebration, whether it's a good or good for me kind of season, God is still present. He's still perfect 
and perfect in his timing, he has never and will never deny us of our promises. He's still so good. So then why do we have trouble with trust? To turn to scripture, we're going to be hanging out in Genesis. So in Genesis, we meet Joseph, who is one of Jacob's 12 sons. Uh, It's a pretty familiar story, but I'm just going to do a quick dive, and then we'll kind of dive into the book. So Joseph was anointed by the Lord, and he eagerly shared these visions that he had been given from God, and he shared them. uh, They came to him in dreams, and he shared them with his 11 brothers. In their jealous rage, they planned to kill him. Instead, they ended up selling him into slavery. In slavery, however, Joseph does find success working under Potiphar in Egypt. But when Potiphar's wife came on to him and Joseph said no, and he esteemed, she didn't like that very much and instituted more problems for Joseph, accusing him of coming on to her. And that landed him in prison. So we see the story of Joseph's rejection start in Genesis 37, when Joseph was 17. And honestly, probably his rejection of his life started sooner than that because he's dubbed as his father's favorite in the Bible. So you can imagine that in 17 years, his brothers were probably jealous much sooner than that. So we're going to pick up in chapter 37, verse 18. His brothers saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And although they didn't kill him, the chapter finishes with them continuing through their plan to throw him into one of the pits. And instead of the death, instead they sold him into slavery. They rejected him for being a dreamer, for being close to God. After 13 years of trial and trouble, being in slavery and later in jail at age 30, Joseph rose to power at the side of Pharaoh. And with that, does many remarkable acts, and unbelievably, that includes forgiving his brothers. So we were in 37. We're going to fast forward to chapter 50, verse 18. With Joseph in power, we read, Joseph's brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Hmm. But God meant it for good. And Joseph lived in righteousness to the ripe age of 110. Can you imagine being 17 years old, being completely betrayed by your friends and family in your darkest challenge, not knowing what lied ahead for you, being sold into slavery, being in a pit, and having a faith that withstands that darkness and shines through it. Having trust that sustains you despite the pain and the challenges ahead. Being 17 and not knowing that you would be given 93 more years of life let alone being given power. Can you imagine not knowing how long those hardships would last? Joseph knew what he believed and where he belonged because he had complete, unbroken trust in God's plans for his life. Considering all of his difficulties, his faith is remarkable. I don't know about you, But when I look back at my life, 
I want to be marked by a remarkable faith in the face of shattering and heartbreaking and undesirable seasons. I want my story of rejection to be defined by trust and to reveal God's goodness. To overcome times of trial, or bare minimum, just to understand them, we must have faith. Faith brings light to trouble. It's not a quick fix. It's not an eraser, doesn't let you escape them. But it carries you through them with certainty that God will prevail, knowing that God is good and his promises are true. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope, whether you feel it or not. God uses the unfavorable, undesirable, ugly moments of life and transforms them into moments of faithfulness. The devil isn't just after you. He doesn't just hate you. He hates God. And therefore, he's going after God's plans for you. So when the devil uses man to reject and set aside, God accepts and sets apart, right? My friends, we are in the process of preparation, being overlooked, ignored, left out, rejected. It's painful. It's quite painful. And because we don't like painful things, painful situations, we do whatever we can to avoid them. And this is where the toxic mindsets and the bad behaviors kick in. This is where the enemy sets you up to serve people or opportunities instead of God, or even to tear God's people down. This is where I was those years ago, being a vessel for evil by gossiping about people, just over a feeling of denial. But I wasn't denied. God had always accepted me. And here's the amazing part, see? Rejection by the world is often God's method of stripping away any need of affirmation by man or opportunity. And he uses that rejection to strengthen our reliance upon his word. He shows us that only he can take us to where he has called us. Trust is a choice. It's a choice. I'm still in that season today where the devil's tool of doubt can puncture my faith. And in consequence, I can succumb to depression, be overwhelmed by anxiety. I can start up those bad behaviors again or worse. Or I can choose to use trust as my first line of defense and my deeper connection with God, despite the pain of my season. I pray that this is a choice that we can all make every day, both in the good and the good for us seasons alike. I pray that we can all live a life like Joseph and be able to look back at our lives and see a heritage of trust. I pray that as we each carry on through the good and the bad days of life, we find ourselves immersed in unwavering faith. Because God, he is the only one who abundantly promises 
and exceedingly fulfills. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you, Maddie. Um, thanks for your vulnerability and just the reminder of Joseph. Okay, you guys, I am Megan, and I am the children's pastor here at City Church OTR. And I have to tell you, I am feeling very vulnerable this weekend. <laughs> and there's a couple reasons why. Um, one, I just chopped all my hair off. So, yeah, thanks, thanks. Whew, I need that. No. I'm <laughs> um, the other thing is, um, my notes just disappeared this morning. Apparently, my, my subscription to Microsoft Word expired, okay? So we're really like flying free this morning. Um, so I did do the cliff notes on my phone, but we're good. It's funny because I am feeling that way, and yet I feel like I am exactly where the Lord wants me to be when I give this message. So... How many people in here love plants? You're a plant person. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know at least a few of you are because I've been in your homes and I love it and I'm jealous and I'm trying to become that. And it's been made a little bit easier because I just moved to Over the Rhine and I pass so many plant shops every day when I walk and it's so tempting every time I go buy one. And so I've spent way too much money on plants, but my house is greener, and I really, really love it. The other thing that you guys need to know about me is I am a middle school science teacher, and currently we are studying plants. So I'm also learning about plants a lot in school as I study for that. The other thing is I'm going through the one-year Bible. Is anybody else doing that this year? Okay, yeah, a couple people. Well, um, let me just say, I'm really behind. So if you are on today's date, like, I'm still in February, and I am, I, I probably will never catch up, but I will still finish it, right? And that's what matters. And, um, but you guys, I am reading about these cleansing ceremonies where they have an animal sacrifice and it's paired with some plants and herbs and to make an unclean person declared clean or to clean an object, okay? So all of these things contribute to the fact that when I was praying about what to talk about today, the only thing that kept coming to my mind was hyssop. And it kind of sounds like, um, like a Hebrew cuss word a little bit, I think, but it's not. It's a plant, okay? And it is, um, they're not sure of the variety um, of plant that they're talking about in the Bible, but hyssop is mentioned 12 times in the Bible. And I had a little conversation with the Lord, like, I don't know that people care about hyssop. Like, maybe the people that raised their hand and, and said they like plants, right? But he led me through this, like, trail of hyssop to something really beautiful. So to get a little context, we're going to start in the beginning in Genesis. And we see Adam and Eve, everything's good, right? And then sin enters the world, and Adam and Eve hide in their brokenness, and they cover up themselves, or they, they hide because they're naked, right? And they cover up themselves. And God clothes them with animal skin. 
And so here we see our first animal sacrifice that is being made to clothe or to cover their shame and their nakedness. Okay. Next we go into, um, so that's a little context. Let's look at the story of the Passover because this is when we first see hyssop shown in the Bible. So in the story of Passover, um, Moses is going to Pharaoh, making a plea to let the Israelites go, and Pharaoh doesn't. Okay, Many of us are familiar with this story. And we get to the plague of the, um, the death of the firstborn son, and God makes a provision for the Israelites. And he goes, or Moses goes to the elders, and he tells them to go to slaughter a lamb, to get a bundle of hyssop, to dip the hyssop in the blood of the lamb, to put the hyssop on their doorframe so that they would be passed over. Okay, so we see in the beginning, we see death happening, hyssop being used, right, to put the blood on the doorframe so that they would be saved from death. Next, we see it in Leviticus and Numbers. And this is, you guys, what I've been reading about, okay? It's pretty terrible reading. I probably shouldn't say that, but it's just not really fun to read. And it is just, basically, they are, something is unclean. So think like leprosy for a person. And they use hyssop paired with an animal sacrifice in these moments to declare a person clean. They also use it to declare objects clean before God. Okay? So that gives us a little bit of context as we go into the life of David. So we're going to go into, I forget the reference, I'm sorry. It's in Samuel, I'm not sure which one. Okay? Um, that's why notes are helpful, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, it's in Samuel, and, um, okay, David has just committed sin, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he has killed, um, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and he is just, like, living in this sin, right? And he has yet to come to his senses about what he has done. And so Nathan, the prophet Nathan, comes to David, and he tells him this story. He says, there was a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man had many sheep, many cattle, and the poor man had one lamb. And this lamb was like his child. It ate with him. It laid next to him as they slept. I imagine it's like kind of how much I, like how I feel about my dog. Yeah. Um, he loved this lamb. And so the rich man has a traveler that's coming to his home, and he wants to kill a lamb in order to feed the, the traveler. And so instead of choosing from his like multitude of animals, he goes and he takes the poor man's lamb and kills it to feed this traveler. Man, doesn't that just like, oh. And David is outraged when he hears this story. He's so mad. He's like, how could the rich man do this, right? 
And I imagine there's either this moment of silence or like Nathan breaks into David's rage and he says, David, you are that man. And don't you just feel the weight of that? It's like, has anybody ever felt that? Like that weight when you, when you see your sin, when you just become convicted of it, right? That weight. So David goes and does what he does. He writes a psalm. And he writes Psalm 51. And if you haven't read Psalm 51, go back and read it. It's awesome. I'm just going to talk about a small piece of it because it includes our hyssop reference. And he says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So we see hyssop used again in reference to making him clean. Okay. All right, we're going to jump about a thousand years later <laughs> to Jesus. So I did write down the reference for this one. It's John 19, 28. And Jesus is on the cross. And he is ready to give up his spirit. And he says, I am thirsty. And so they, I don't know who they is, but they go and they take a hyssop branch. They soak a sponge in wine. They put the sponge on the hyssop branch and they hold it to Jesus' lips. And in that moment, Jesus, Jesus says, it is finished. And he gives up his spirit. I have friends, and they wanted to teach their children this concept that something had to die so that you could live, and that so you could, that you could live. And so they bought rabbits, and they raised them in order to kill for food, okay? I know all of us are like, oh, but <laughs> that is just like, yeah, you guys, Even when we look at that story, like of them killing the rabbits for food, that's temporary, right? We're always going to get hungry again, right? When we look back in the Old Testament, we look at the, the sacrifices that were made constantly for people to be clean. Those were temporary, right? Jesus is here on the cross, and he says, it is finished. My blood has now washed over all of and you are declared clean. And so the last reference to hyssop is in Hebrews. And it's going back to Moses. And um, Moses and the Israelites are making a covenant. It has to do with the law. Um, but I'm just going to read this for us. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled 
with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I'm going to jump forward to Hebrews 10. This is Christ's words. And he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He's speaking to God. But a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. I'm going to jump to one more verse here in Hebrews. It says, And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So I'm going to go back to David's words in Psalm 51 real quick. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean, right? You guys, I'd like to think if David were here today, like, I just, I just don't think that we need that hyssop anymore, right? I'd like to think that all of us can stand up when we, let me, when we feel that weight of our sin, when we feel it, Because of Jesus, we can now lay that at his feet. And we can now declare, I have been washed in the blood of Jesus. And I am now clean. I am now whiter than snow. But only because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, guys. Hello, good morning, everybody. I'm going to be a Gen Zer. I'm going to use a laptop today. <laughs> you know, this table is being held together with faith and prayers. And we are going to make sure it doesn't fall on me. Um, Megan, thank you so much. Even just not even having your notes, that's so stressful. Um, but yeah, thank you for your word this morning. Um, like I said, um, my name is Jalen. I'm usually coming down right about now to uh, close us out in worship, but today I have this very unique um, and amazing opportunity to be a pastor for the day, um, which is so fun um, and also just slightly nerve-wracking. I've never really um, considered myself like a public speaker, let alone um, a pastor or just having like a pastor role. Um, and so there are some nerves that are like going on right now. Um, if there's anything I learned in culinary school, it's that like people tend to eat with their eyes before they actually like eat the food. And so I know like right as soon as I like step on stage, I'm under the light and you guys are just eating me up with your eyes and you're like, you're judging me, you're perceiving me, you're looking at my clothes, you're looking at my hair, which are things that I've been self-conscious about. You know, like even my voice, does anyone else like really hate hearing their voice on like a voice memo or like a video? Like I've, I've been self-conscious about my voice, my singing voice at times. I'm like, oh, Jay, you did not need to do that. Um, and so like now I'm down here and I'm under the light and I'm being served to you guys. Um, and so I hope you understand how just this little bit of fear, um, this little bit of 
nervousness turned into a buttload of fear. I'm sorry, I said buttload at church. Um, this, this bucket of nervousness when I asked the Lord what I should talk about today, and he said, my insecurity. Um, I think that this is something that we've all struggled with. Um, maybe we struggled with it in the past, or some of us, we struggle with it on the daily. Um, but I just remember from a very young age just being um, insecure. Um, I, I feel like I wasn't like most kids. I don't think I was like most boys. I grew up with a lot of girls in my family and women and girl cousins and more Filipino aunts that you can count. And um, it just took a lot of time. Um, it took a lot of prayer, it took a lot of patience to actually start believing in who the Lord has created me to be and called me to be. Um, and so I want to start our time this morning um, like Megan and Maddie did in Genesis. And we're going to start all the way um, at the top, flip to Genesis 1. Um, and I just want to go over the creation story. I'm not going to read it in depth, but just to summarize, I love um, the display of this timeline and just how beautifully it's laid out. And um, The Lord starts by creating light, and then he separates it from the darkness, and then um, he creates a sky out of this void. Um, and then after that, he creates the dry land and the sand, or the, and the plants and the trees and, and the land, and then uh, he hangs the sun and the moon and the stars. Um, then after that, he creates creatures that swam and creatures that flew, and finally, um, he made animals that lived on the land and humans in the likeness and image of God. And he says in Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and all the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And I love how this is set up in Genesis 1 um, before it actually talks about how, how he creates man in Genesis 2. Um, and even just the, the beauty of this timeline because it shows the thought and the intent that the Lord has over his creation. Um, we, we see that in Genesis 2 um, that he actually breathes his very own breath into the nostrils of the dust of the earth that he formed. And man is created. And so I love that just in Genesis 1, like I've been watching Marvel this past week and like I literally think of like Thanos. Like the Lord could have literally snapped the earth into existence. Like in one day, two days, whatever. He could have snapped human beings into existence. But no, he was so meticulous and intentional with his creation, with his design, um, that he actually put his own breath into our lungs so we can come to life. Um, and so preparing for this morning and, and my message, I wanted to get in touch with my Tyler Cherneski side and like get there. And so naturally, I ended up on pbs.org, and I was looking at this term. It's a theological term called Imagio Dei. Can you guys say that? Imagio Dei. Wonderful, I don't sound that bad up here. Um, this term is a theological term used um, specifically and uniquely to describe the relationship between God and humankind. And to quote from this excerpt, it says, to say that humans are in, the, um, are in the image of God is to recognize the special qualities of human nature which allow God to be made manifest in humans. In other words, for humans to have the conscious recognition of their being in the image of God means that they are the creature through whom God's plans and purposes can be made known and actualized. Humans in this way can be, can be seen as co-creators with God. Guys, isn't that so exciting? <laughs> I don't know, I'm like geeking a little bit. Like, that's so amazing that like we see in Genesis that he creates the world with intent and that he breathes life into our body with intent but now we say we see that we were actually made with a purpose that we were made with plans that we actually have this ability to co-create and partner with the spirit in our everyday life isn't that so cool so then why do I still feel inadequate 
Like, why do I still feel like I'm not good enough for the job? Like, why does this sin or this temptation continue to make me feel like I'm not worthy? I don't know if I'm trying to make a God in my image and and not rest in the fact that I was created in his. Um, But I do know that at the end of the day, and whatever your questions are, I know that we were created and designed to do more than just survive, to live day-to-day mundane lives. But we were created with purpose, and we were created with intent, and we were created to co-create and partner with the Lord. We were created to thrive. Um, And so I think that we can be so encouraged that some of the most influential people that are talked about in the Bible bring their insecurities to the Lord. And what does he do? He uses those to bring glory to his kingdom. And we look in Exodus 4, and and the Lord calls Moses to go free his his people. And and Moses, um, he, he says to the Lord, and I paraphrase, he says, Lord, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord says to him, uh, who gave human beings their mouths? <laughs> Isn't he funny? <laughs> who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I love this, and he says, now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And that's just how good he is. And, and like we do, like any person would do, we say, but God, wait. <laughs> you can do anything, one, why don't you send someone else? There's someone that is more equipped than me. There's someone that's not struggling with that sin, right? God, send someone else. But the Lord says, no, Moses, I I choose you. We look in the book of Judges, and the Lord calls Gideon to go free his people from the Midianites. and, um, And he says to him, now go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. Do I not send you? And Gideon pleads with fear, and he's just like, he's like, God, I'm like, I'm one of like the little poorest families in this like town area that I'm from. We have the weakest army. God, I am the lowest in my father's house. And Gideon actually says that, like, God, I am the lowest in my father's house. I am the youngest. I do not know as much. I am not as strong. Lord, send someone else who is better than me, who is more equipped than me. And what does the Lord do? He calls him a warrior. Like, Gideon, you are a warrior. Gideon, you are mighty. Gideon, you are a man of valor. You're a man of status, of of, of high class, a man of statute. And that's how the Lord saw Gideon, not based off of his insecurities, but solely based off of the way that he was created. And then we we look at Saul, who's later renamed Paul because of his walk with the Lord, and um, he talks about having a thorn in his flesh. Um, There's been many debates with scholars as to what this thorn could have been. Um, Some believe that this thorn could have been a speech impediment um, that Paul suffered with, either a lisp or something that made him self-conscious about his speaking. Um, Other scholars believe that he suffered from an eye infection, which would have been something very common in this time. Um, This was the illness that he talked about in in his letters. Um, Some people believe that this thorn was um, an issue with lust, um, that, that Paul suffered with this and he brought that to the Lord, and others believe that this thorn were um, just people who were out to persecute him and tearing him down. But honestly, whatever this thorn is, whatever it could have been, um, I just think it makes Paul's story so much more encouraging. Um, And then we read in 2 Corinthians, and this is one of my 
my favorite verses, because um, I feel like I've been here so many times with the Lord myself, and um, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So that is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You guys, it's his grace. It is the Lord's grace, his unmerited love and mercy that is freely given to us because and only because he desires for us to have it. There is nothing that we can do to earn it, and we surely do not deserve it. And so he freely, freely gives that out to us. Your insecurities are not too big for God. Your sins are not too big for God. Your thoughts are not too big for God. I think that it's time that we can slowly start learning to stop living out of character with the calling that God has over our lives. Um, there is something that is so unique and special and specific about your thorn that the Lord wants to use for his glory. And so, as the rest of the band comes up to join me this morning, we close out in one more song. Um, I just want to remind our souls this morning and our hearts this morning. Um, that the Lord has created us in our inmost being, that he knit us together in our mother's womb. Do we have any knitters in here? Does anyone knit? Are we a knit church? Um, I literally, and I tried to watch a video to like prepare for this and everything. I watched this guy knit a scarf, okay? Seven hours. Took him seven plus hours to knit a scarf that probably was not long enough. And he said in the video, he was like, this act, knitting, is supposed to be a meticulous act. Supposed to, you're supposed to take your time. It's supposed to be perfect. You're not supposed to rush. Um, and, and just think of that when, when the Lord created you, when he knit you together in your mother's womb, your inmost being and all, um, your thorns and everything uniquely created. How blessed are we to be able to serve a God and co-create with a God that makes beautiful things out of the dust. Amen. Amen. So why don't we all stand up this morning um, as we close out in one more song, um, and we just will be reminded and sing in this truth that we were created in, uh, in his image. <laughs>